Good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you're here. It is a little bit gloomy outside, right? It's warm inside. Um, I uh, want to reiterate what, uh, what Pat already said, the, the reminder about our missionaries being in the bulletin, a little update that, that's there regarding uh, them. I, w- I would encourage you to go there and read it. Um, I've been trying to stay in, in touch with our missionaries. This last week, um, spent an hour with Todd and Kelly Dustin and then with, uh, with Mike Crandall. And uh, yeah, they're all affected. All of their work is affected. Uh, just like us, uh, you can imagine. Uh, pray for our brothers and sisters who are the missionaries that we support. I would, I would cover their prayers. They would cover your prayers. And uh, if you aren't already, I would encourage you to, to get connected with one or more of our missionaries and ask them how they're doing. Find out specifics that you can be praying for. Um, they, uh, they really want our partnership. They want our relationship. So I'd ask them, ask you to, uh, to pursue them. Um, it was 1977. And... Uh, there was a scrawny Ava Joel-shaped person sitting in a sixth grade choir in Wisconsin in Thomas Jefferson Middle School. His name was Jeff, and he was terrified that the choir director, he was terrified that the choir director was going to call on him for the Christmas uh, concert solo. Um, I thought, you know, nobody's volunteering. I kind of like the attention as a sixth grader. Um, I'll give it a shot. I raise my hand. And the solo just happens to be in the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Well, I got the solo that you have to sing all 12 times, all by myself. And the first time I stood up in the concert, we went through all the practices. They were good. It was good for the very first time. And a partridge in a pear tree, I knew the words. I had practiced it at home. I had practiced it on the way. And wouldn't you know it, absolutely nothing came out of my voice. (laughs) Terrified, I sat back down. The song went on. The second time came around, and I stood up to sing my partridge in a pear tree. And wouldn't you know it, Nothing came out. And just the same way you all are kind of compassionately saying, oh, and you're quiet and you moan just a little bit. That's exactly what the entire crowd did every time I stood up. And you know, a sixth grade little boy does not know how to read compassion and kindness. It was just terror for me. Uh, It was years before I sang again. Um, and yet that little, that little kid, that little kid who, who willingly stepped out uh, to, to uh, lead the way and practice his part, there was something about that little kid that was doing everything right. There was something obedient in that kid that I actually look back at and I admire. He stepped up and he was willing to move into a space that he had no idea of what was going to happen. He still carried with him, still to this day. You put me in a corner by myself and I repeat the story a few times, I could probably be in tears. But there's something about it that was right. There's something I like about that kid. There's something happening in the story of Moses that I I want us to look at this morning. God is calling Moses. God is calling Moses to a a step of obedience. God is calling Moses out of where he has been as a shepherd, and he's calling him to service. Now, Moses has a story just like this little kid has a story. But God is asking him for obedience. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, God is asking for your obedience this morning. Now turn to somebody else 
and say, God is asking for your obedience this morning. Now point the finger to yourself and say, God is asking for your obedience this morning. I want us to look at the story in the life of Moses. In this moment of calling. See, this is more than just Moses being called out of a crowd of people or a kid sitting in a classroom being asked, who wants to sing the solo? Remember from last week, Moses is an Exodus-shaped man. Everything about his life, all the way from the time that he was born, his, his life is pointing to this moment when he would be used of God to deliver the people of Israel. He was an Exodus shaped man. He's called even, though he doesn't know it, he's called Exodus, the genuine Exodus. He is the Exodus-shaped man of God. We begin in chapter 3 with five responses that come from Moses. These five responses that come from Moses, they reveal something about him. God is saying something to Moses about who he is, and when God reveals himself to Moses, Moses responds and says something about what? Says something about Moses' insecurity. All five responses reveal something about the insecurity that was always inside of Moses. The first one is this, in chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, who am I? Revealing this spot in Moses that says, I'm inadequate. I'm not enough. I'm, I, I'm not what you need. I'm not going to be able to perform what it is that you want me to do, God. I'm, I'm inadequate. Who am, who am I to do what you have asked me to do? The second response that Moses gives in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, what should, I, what should I tell them? Essentially, Moses is asking the question, who, who are you? Who are you? Who, you're revealing yourself. Who am I going to tell them that you are? I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough information. Who am I going to say is talking to me so that they'll listen? God says, I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. He's the self-existent creator, the unfueled fire, the holiness without something to make him holy. He is holiness. He is the self-sustained sustainer of all of life. Not only does God reveal himself, he, re he reveals what Moses is to say to the people. He reveals to Moses what he's supposed to say to the elders. And he reveals to Moses what he's supposed to say to Pharaoh. And not only that, he tells him, when you say these things, this is how it's going to go. He foretells what the story is going to hold. And as we ended in chapter 3, we realize there's this plunder of grace that is coming their way. Let's read the beginning of chapter 4 and continue the story of Moses. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran, Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. 
So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on, the gr- on dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. God, thank you for your word. Have a seat. God, we ask for your care for us this morning. As we look at this text, Father, would you illuminate it to our minds and to our hearts? Would you teach us the value within so much so that we would sense a conviction? A conviction about how you led Moses and how Moses respond, that we might even see ourselves in the midst of the text And God, would you point us to Christ? Would you point us to the grace of God? And would you, by your spirit, give us us a willing heart to move forward in obedience? We trust you most in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. So we begin chapter four in verse one with the third response that comes from Moses. But behold, they're they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to say what you told me to say, and they're not going to believe me. This, This is a problem for Moses of credibility. Now, that makes sense to me. I can imagine myself moving forward as God has asked me to do a task that is an an epic-sized task, and I'm going to step out, and I'm going to do what God asked me to do, but it seems like such a small thing. It seems like something that God should do himself. I'm not credible. I'm not credible. See, just like you and I, if I were to stand up here and be asked to do a solo, what do you think is going to be going through my mind? If you ask me to sing in front of you with a microphone, what's going to go through my mind? That, that 12-year-old boy is going to be what's going through my mind. Moses is no different. Moses knows who he is. He's not believing what God says about him. He's not moving forward in faith thinking, this is what God says I'm to do. Therefore, God says I'm credible. No, he's got this undercurrent of his soul that says, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm not credible. I'm really nothing special. There's something about that that's right, right? There's something about that that we get. We're just people. Moses is just a guy. But if he only knew, if he only knew what you and I know as we look at the story of God, how incredibly significant Moses is to the story. Moses is called out of his adopted Egyptian family to serve the Lord. Listen. He's called out of Egypt to serve the Lord. 
It's only going to be a matter of months before Israel, his, his people that he is going to lead, it's, it's only a matter of months before Israel is going to be called out of Egypt to serve the Lord. All of this pointing, pointing to another day, just, just as one day Jesus, after leaving Bethlehem with Joseph and Mary, Jesus would be called out of Egypt to serve the Lord. Matthew 2, verses fi- verse 15. Out of Egypt I called my son. See, Moses doesn't see it, but, but he's actually a very significant figure foreshadowing the person of Jesus Christ, who is the leader of the greatest exodus, amen? Moses says, they won't believe me. There's no way they're gonna believe me. And God says, exactly, exactly. You get the sense that the very thing that Moses is set back on his heels about, this undercurrent that has control of his heart, that I'm not enough, that, I, that I'm not going to be able to do what God asked me to do, is the very thing that God has been building into Moses for 40 years. Do you remember Moses, when he saw the injustice of his brothers, he leaps in, he actually kills somebody, he, he commits murder, in passion to try to convince others that he knew what was right. But here God is actually calling him, calling him to to lead, calling him to go back to his people and, and, and telling him exactly what's going to happen even. And Moses responds with what? There's humility to Moses. There's a, I, I don't have this to Moses that wasn't there before. God's shaping something in Moses. Moses says, I'm not credible, and God says, listen, Moses, I'm gonna be your credibility. I'm gonna be the one who's credible in your life. I I want everything about what you do. I want everything that you bring to the table. It's not going to be for your personal credibility. Everything that you do is going to be to point others to who I am. Everything that you bring to the table is going to bring a credibility to my name and to my glory and to my fame. I'm going to give you signs and wonders for your credibility, Moses. What are signs and wonders? Signs and wonders is not something that we in in conservative evangelical church, we don't talk about it all that often, but it's right here in the scriptures that God uses signs and wonders to bring credibility to his name. When there's a move of God that is absolutely significant in redemptive history, what does God do? He amps up the signs and wonders. There's two times in history that we see a massive amount of activity of signs and wonders. One is here in Exodus, in the Exodus of of Israel. God's going to do phenomenal, wondrous things that people will stand back and and look at the wonders. Wonders are intended for us to, to see them and go, wow, look at God. And signs, signs are, are just, like, just like what it says. You, you drive down the highway and you look at a sign and it points you to another thing. A sign is something that points you to something that's going to happen or something greater that's going to take place. Here in Exodus is the first time we see this massive amount of activity of signs and wonders. And then in the life of Christ, the true Exodus the deliverance of the people of God from the bondage, bondage of sin. It's another time in redemptive history that we see God's signs and wonders making people go, wow, look at what God can do. Look at who God is. Look at who God is. Graham Goldsworthy says this. He says, this fact alone This fact alone suggests that signs and wonders is a technical term for miracles which accompany and even constitute 
the redemptive event. What he's saying here is that, that when God is going to do something really big, he gets our attention. And these, these two epic moments in history, it's exactly what he does. He gets our attention. Signs and wonders are, are not to be about Moses. They're not to be about drawing attention to human beings. It's, it's about the, the testimony of who God is. It's not about testifying to the, to the bearer of those signs and wonders, to, to their might and to their glory. It's to, to point people to God, who is the source and resource of these signs and wonders. Why were these signs and wonders coming? Why? Verse 5. That, the, that, that they might believe that the God of their fathers has appeared to them. He really, God really wants people to believe that God is engaged here with Moses. Moses says, I, I, they're not going to believe me. And God says, listen, I'm going to give you some signs. I'm going to give you wonders. And they'll believe. The first one is this. He, he has a staff. He's a shepherd. That just makes sense. It's nothing special. The staff, is, the staff is something that he uses to guide sheep. He says, throw your staff down. The staff becomes a serpent. And he says, grab it by the tail. Now that is a tricky deal right there, grabbing a snake by the tail. Anyone who's working with snakes, you, you know that you move towards the head, and if you can control the head, you can control the snake. He says just the opposite. I want you to put your life in peril. I want you to trust me. Grab that snake by the tail, and that snake instantly turns back into a staff. This is the wonder I mean, it's so wonderful that Moses hightails it. He's like, no way, I'm out, I'm out of here. But there's a sign. There's wonder, and there's also a sign. What is this pointing to? It's less clear, but it tells a story of, of a battle that's to come. The staff of Moses was a tool of his trade used to move sheep. This staff turned into a snake, the representation of the snake was obvious to the people of Israel and most likely to Moses. The snake was worn on the head of the king of Egypt. It represented all of, all of the power of Egypt. The picture's unmistakable. It struck terror into the people of Israel to see the king in his crown and his serpent on his crown just as the snake becomes hardened into the staff, God would overcome Pharaoh. God would overcome the God of Egypt. And just as the snake was hardened into the staff, God is going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And he's going to use him just as a staff is used to guide sheep. He's going to use this staff to move his people out of Egypt. A second sign and wonder. He says, stick your hand into your cloak. It's clean to begin with. He puts it in, he brings it out, and then he's leprous, and there's disease all over his hand. And he says, no, put your hand back in again, and he pulls it out, and it's completely healed like the rest of his body. The second sign brings God God's power to light in a very unique way. Egypt was plagued with leprosy. You might not know that. This was something that was very common throughout Egypt. And you've got to believe, just like we have people who are fighting to find a cure for COVID-19, you've got to believe that they were trying to find a cure for leprosy. It's a disease that destroys both nerves and circulation to the extremities. Nobody had found the, the, the cure to the disease. The only way to deal with the disease of leprosy is to separate everyone. We know what it's like to live in isolation. Leprosy was doing this to the people of Egypt. They were constantly battling this disease. But God, but God, 
There was no God, no doctor, no magic, no essential oils that could cure this disease. But the power of God is able to make clean what is diseased. The power of God is able to reverse the effects of death and give life again. God will bring cleansing. Just as that diseased hand was made well, God would bring cleansing to the people of Israel. He would restore hearts to himself that they would worship him alone. This first sign and wonder pointing to how God is going to overcome the God of Egypt. The second sign and wonder pointing to how God is going to cleanse the people of Israel. This third sign and wonder is a bit different. Because Moses doesn't actually get to witness this one firsthand. He says, if, if they don't believe what you say, I want you to do the first sign. If, you, if they don't believe the first sign, I want you to do the second sign. And if they don't believe what you say, the first sign or the second sign, I want you to do this third sign. But I'm not going to show you what it's going to look like. I'm not going to do it for you. He leaves a realm of belief and faith and obedience in Moses' court that's not like the other two. He says, I want you to grab a cup of water out of the Nile and I want you to dump it on the ground and I'm going to turn it to blood. The Nile, what is the sign here? The Nile represents the life of Egypt. Just like you and I, we might say the bald eagle represents the United States of America or freedom or liberty represents the United States of America. It is the Nile that represents Egypt. It was life to them. Every year the Nile would rise and fall. When it would rise, it would bring in life as all rivers bring life to a community. And then when the river would recede, it would leave fertile soil behind. The Nile was all about life for their community. The Nile being life the Nile being something that they would even worship. Imagine if you take away, imagine if you spoil, imagine if you have an effect on something that is so important to you that you actually call it life. Don't we actually even protect bald eagles? That's important to us. Imagine if somebody came in and was eradicating something that represents all of who we are in freedom and power and dignity and life. And God takes something that is life to them and says, listen, I'm the one who gives life and I'm the one who takes life away. He is the sustainer. He is the creator. This sign represents that God will conquer even the greatest of powers of nations. There is nothing that you are going to hold up that holds a candle to the power of God. The thing that you call life, I am going to teach you one day about what life really is. Three wonders and three signs. And all three require an act of obedience on Moses' part. Moses, I want you to participate with me. I want you to, I, I, I'm going to perform signs and wonders, but there's something I want you to do. I want you to drop the staff. And in that dropping of the staff, in that, in that moment of obedience, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if God's going to show up, and I want you to grab it by the tail. I want you to stick your hand in your cloak, and that thing that I did right here in my presence, I'm going to do it again, but you're going to have to say, watch this. Do you get it? A little step of obedience. Moses, I want you to participate with me here. Exodus 4.10 it's a response that we certainly can get down on Moses for. He says, it starts with, but Moses said to the Lord. Now, you would think to yourself, after all of this, 
Moses would be on his face, weeping before God in worship, the glory of who God is and all that he can do, right? That's what we think we should see. But Moses has got more in his tank. Moses said to the Lord, you would think that after the bush, the voice of God, the signs and wonders, and we say to ourselves, somewhat proud maybe, we say to ourselves, I would never, right? I would never do what Moses did. But hasn't God spoken? Hasn't God spoken to you? Has God not, God not revealed himself to you? Has God not, God not given you the truth of the gospel? Has God not led you to this point? Has God not been faithful to you? Has God not done his own version of signs and wonders in your life? Yet God asks us for the simplest moments of obedience. <laughs> Would you go apologize for that foolishness that you did? And I got three excuses in my head why I shouldn't have to do that. Jeff, would you, would you just open my word today? And I, and, I, and I just want this day, just this day, I want this day just to be my day. I want my time. I want some me time, God. Jeff, would you, would you pursue your wife? Would you, would you ask her how she's doing? And I find ways, I find ways to in somehow, somehow justify my own power, my own lordship in my life, and I forget that God has spoken, and God has been faithful. In this little moment, this little thing of sticking my hand in the cloak, waiting for God to show up and do what he says he's going to do, I find ways around it. Can I just give you four reasons? I'm sorry, three reasons. I'll give you three reasons why I think we avoid this pursuit of obedience to God. The first reason is this. I think just like that story of that little boy who stood up and he, he had that squeaky voice and, and nothing came out, I think all of us have stories that we're living out of. I think all of us have circumstances that didn't go well. Ways that we sinned in our life that speak loudly to us about our identity today. Ways that we have been sinned against. Things that people have done to us that have tampered with our identity and they make us think to ourselves, I'm not worth it, or I'm not good enough, or I can't possibly. And that bit of shame and that bit of condemnation is so controlling and speaks so loud in our mind and our heart that we don't hear the Lord's voice of asking for simple obedience. The second thing is this. I think there's some of us that don't actually know God's voice. There's some of us that, that we've been going through the motions of doing church. We've been going through the motions saying that, that I'm in and I love him most. And in reality, we're just checking a box of, I, I, I just want to belong to a community. Or I just want to belong to a church. But Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And there are some of us who, who actually don't know the voice of God calling us to obedience. And I would ask you, the first step of obedience is submitting your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's saying, I, I want to hear him. I long to hear him. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a savior, and he is my savior. 
I think the third reason why we don't hear and we miss the voice of God is that the pain of life sometimes, it goes on for so long. Some of the circumstances of life can be so painful. Sometimes there's chronic issues in life, chronic pain and chronic woes and chronic heartache that goes on for such a long period of time that it actually numbs us to the voice of God. We find ourselves saying, God, will you ever change this situation? Will you ever change this circumstance? And God hasn't changed it yet. And it makes us a bit numb to the voice of God saying to ourselves, is he really there? I point you to three things. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. I point you to three things. If you find yourself in the midst of any of those three things, if there's shame, if there's condemnation, if the weight of life is just so heavy, can I just give you three places that you can turn and realize that you aren't alone in this? The first is this. You do have the word of God. Now, if you could please hear me say this in, in not such a simple, cheesy way as to say, hey, if you don't do your Bible reading every day, you're not going to hear God. But there is something that is true about an obedience to opening God's word and working my way through the scriptures and hearing from him and listening to him and growing in my understanding of who he is and what the story of God is about. We do have God's word to, to point us back to his voice or to cause us to even hear it for the very first time. We have the word of God. We do also have the spirit of God. Those of us who have been walking with God, we know that we are part of the family of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If you have submitted your heart to the gospel and you have received him as Savior, he dwells in you. And he knows exactly what you're going through. And as he gives you that prompting, even, even as I say something about reading God's word, some of you in here haven't cracked your Bibles in months maybe. And you hear the Spirit of God well up inside of you saying, open the word. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. You have the Spirit of God. So you have the word of God and you have the Spirit of God. And here we sit. We have the people of God. Some of you have been isolated. And I speak to some of you who are, who are online some of you have been isolated for so long. I, I sat with a brother this week and, and he hasn't been together with friends in months and months. We have all different kinds of motivations of why we're isolated from one another. We're, we're afraid. We're afraid of COVID. We're afraid of getting together. We're afraid of what other people might think when we do get together. We're afraid of saying we need help. We're afraid of saying we, we miss being connected. Can I just tell you, I miss being connected to you. I miss the ease with which fellowship happens in the body of Christ. But these three things still are true. It isn't any less true. Is it a little bit harder? Do we have to go through a little bit more labor? I say, yes, we do. We have the word of God, we have the spirit of God, and we do have each other to point us to Christ and to remind us of what the voice of God sounds like. I need it. I need a friend to remind me, Jeff, here's what the gospel says. Jeff, here's what's really true. That story you're telling yourself, that's not the most true thing in your life. Let me tell you about what's most true. Moses, <laughs> Moses has got this story, this undercurrent of life that says, I'm not enough, I, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to be credible, they're not going to listen to me. And he says here in verse 10, he says, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent, I, they're not going to listen to me because I can't speak. 
This word for not being able to speak is, is not being able to argue. I'm not going to be able to say it in such a way that I'm going to be able to convince you. Do you know what it's like to sit with somebody who's lawyer-like in their arguments? That's what, this, that's what he's talking about. I can't talk that way so that people will be convinced that what I'm saying is true. God says, Moses, Moses, I, I'm sovereign over every seeing eye and every blind eye. Moses, I'm, I'm sovereign over every speaking mouth and every non-speaking mouth. Moses, every strength, listen to this, hear me. Moses, every strength and every weakness is mine. Moses, every strength and every weakness is mine. <laughs> Isn't it true that in our pride, we think that when I'm strong and there's something that's going well and I'm operating in some sense of talent and giftedness, I stand up here and I can, I can talk about things. In some way, that's, that's God at work, but when my weaknesses show, don't I say I failed? That's mine, that's on me. Paul actually says it's just the opposite that when I am weak, he is strong. Huh. Moses, every strength and every weakness is mine. Now you go. You go and I will be with your mouth, Moses. And Moses, the fifth response in verse 13 is this. Please send someone else. The end of this whole discussion where God is doing almost all of the talking, Moses says, would you please send someone else? <laughs> Moses, can I go so far as I say, Moses is unwilling to be obedient. Moses finally turns down the call that God asks him to move towards, and, and he asks him to send someone else, and God is angry. <laughs> what is it that makes God angry? It's in these words. Look at your copy of the scriptures. In these words, there's a clue to why God gets angry. In verse 10 and in verse 13, you'll see that there's the word for the Lord in all caps. But then he says, Oh my Lord. And it's not in all caps anymore. He says, Oh Lord. He says to the Lord, the, the, the first all caps is, is Yahweh, this personal God. This, he says to his personal God, he says, Oh my Lord. And that word is Adonai which is the word for the sovereign Lord. I, he's calling him my master, my sovereign. Do you hear the, the irony in that? He says, Lord, my, my personal God, my personal God, you are master and you are sovereign over, over everything. Now, would you find someone else? Do you get the point? I tell my kids to clean their room. And they come to me, oh, Father. <laughs> oh, Sovereign. <laughs> Keeper of this household. Maker of good dishes of food. Please find someone else to clean my room. <laughs> Do you get the point? And he actually does this twice. In verse 10 and verse 13. And the Lord is angry with Moses. <laughs> and God's response, God's response is so gracious to Moses. He doesn't, he doesn't relent. He doesn't, he doesn't not send Moses, but he does reveal part of his plan is to bring him a partner, verse 14, your brother Aaron, who's going to speak for you. How gracious is that? God pursues Moses' heart right up to the point where Moses reveals what's already in there. I don't want to go. Send someone else. 
And then he reveals that he has already made provision for insecure Moses to do what God has asked him to do. Question. Is this God's plan B? So God's plan A is that he's going to send Moses and Moses would respond in an amazing way and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, send me. Instead, Moses says, no, send someone else. And he brings Aaron along the way. Is this God's plan B? I'd say no. It's not God's plan B. But it is easy for us to think that way, isn't it? Have any of you felt like you missed God's call on your life? Have you ever felt like there's that why in the road and you, you took the wrong direction? And ever since that moment in time, you have been on plan B of God's program. I would say there is no plan B. This is your plan A. It didn't turn out, Pastor, you don't understand. This is where I was headed, and this is what I really wanted to do with my life, and this is what I, I prayed about it, and God gave me clarity, and this is what was going to happen, and that didn't happen. And now here you sit, feeling like you are living out plan B of God's program. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What can we see here that points out that this isn't God's plan B? First of all, we see that God doesn't, God doesn't punish Moses. This isn't punitive. This isn't God says, Now because you have not quickly obeyed me, I'm going to give you Aaron. That's not what God says. God already has a plan. Aaron, if we read in the scriptures carefully, Aaron is already on his way. God has already done a call and a work in the heart of Aaron to move him in the direction of his brother Moses. This isn't punitive. Just as Moses was an exodus-shaped man, Aaron is a mouthpiece-shaped man. God moved in Aaron's life to serve the Lord. It isn't an act of manipulation on Moses' part, and then God says, oh, Moses isn't going to go here, so I'm going to have to come up with plan B. The presence of Aaron does not change in the least the power and the program of God. How do we know that? Because God says to Moses, I am going to be with you and teach you how to speak, and I am going to be with Aaron, and I'm going to teach him how to speak, and I am going to be with both of you. The power isn't in Aaron's talent. The power isn't in uh, a gifted guy with a, with a guy who's gifted in something different. Now these two guys together, they're going to make this powerful force. No, the power is always going to be in God doing the work. This is God's plan A all along. While Moses' response, these five responses, while Moses' response reveals his insecurity, his obedience reflects his faith. Now we're not going to see his act of obedience until next week, but let me give you a foretaste. The very next thing we hear of Moses is that he's headed back to Midian to talk to his father-in-law about the plan to go to Egypt. Now we don't hear the transition of thought that goes on inside of Moses' head. I think maybe this is possibly why in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we don't hear about this whole portion of the story. Because there's just this simplicity of, of Moses acting in obedience to go back to Egypt. I think he's a man with all kinds of insecurities, just like you and just like me who takes a little step of obedience to walk with God, to see him work in a mighty way. 
We never really hear a solid response from Moses. Not a solid, yes, Lord. He, we, hear, we see an insecure faith in Moses. But what we do see when we look at chapter, the end of chapter four, is that Moses does move forward in action. He actually does what God asks him to do. It's not about his performance, and that is so encouraging to me. Because there are moments in my life where I just don't get it right. I don't do it well enough, and I just don't respond with a, yes, Lord. But here I am. <laughs> I bring the two bits that I got. I bring the, the moment of, of faithfulness, the moment of obedience, and let's see God work. Can I ask that of you this morning? Where is it that God's asking you to take a step forward? Just a single step forward in obedience to God. I'm not asking you that, you know, have you, have you heard a lightning bolt kind of call from God and you know you're supposed to go win the world for Christ? I'm not saying that. What simple thing have you already heard from the Lord that even as I say this, you struggle to take a little step of obedience for him? Will you do that today? Is it a relationship that you need to move towards? Is it, is, it, is, it a, is it a forgiveness that you haven't offered? Is it an asking for forgiveness that you have not pursued? Is it a sharing of the gospel that you keep putting off and keep putting off, thinking that's for somebody else to take care of? What is the little step of obedience that God is calling you to today? You know, as we take the Lord's table, maybe in the quietness of this preparation time, as you rehearse the gospel and remember God's grace for you, maybe God would even give you a sense of freedom to move forward in obedience as you take the Lord's table. And as we finish, you would actually make an action plan to do it. Let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's table.